Okay, <coughs> now we're going to read a scripture together, or a couple of scriptures. The first will be in Matthew and the 15th chapter. Now the plan is that uh, I'm just going to lead away to open the subject, read, a, read a, two scriptures that are upon my mind, uh, then we are going to speak about the subject that is at hand, namely the perception of the local assembly, the local church, uh, within the community, but maybe primarily <laughs> the perception of the local church among us as believers. And uh, uh, then we will see how that has a reflection to those who are outside, either outside of uh, assembly fellowship in the way that has been prescribed by God in the scriptures or outside of the family of God as unbelievers. And so these things are very real. One thing that we have to make very clear straight away is that those who are outside, now I, I, I know that this term can cause some angst. Maybe it's causing some angst with my brother here. You'll no. know in a minute. <laughs> no. Now, you, we understand what we mean when we, when we use these terms. We're, we're not Outsiders. Unwi un unwise. Oh. So uh, when we speak possibly about those who are outside the fellowship of a local church that has been prescribed by God in the Scriptures. Now, we're going to discuss this afternoon that that might not be as limited to our thinking mm -hmm. as what we have held to. We must be governed by the Word of God. But what I want to state at the beginning is this. We will never ultimately nor totally control what people think. Amen. And people will always have some idea, false idea, of what we are or what I may be associated with in terms of the local church, the local assembly. Let's read Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And we'll take our reading from verse... I think we could read from verse 7. Ye hypocrites... Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I want us to understand to have riveted within our beings the last statement that is made by the Lord Jesus in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men the other scripture that I will read and make reference to is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 12. 
Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of <coughs> Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Now there are 106 questions in the first epistle to the Corinthians. The very last one is, where, O death, is thy sting? Where, O grave, is thy victory? This one, is Christ divided? I suppose that we could say that those two questions span the whole dispensation in which we live. Is Christ divided? What a question that could be asked. We want to, to think about that for a moment or two. Now, my exercise, just to open, is to speak concerning the words of the Lord Jesus in relation to what has become, I believe, a great possible failure among the people of God, particularly those that uh, uh, I count myself among. I do trust that this afternoon you are found as a believer, a baptized believer, in the fellowship of a local assembly. That is the expectation of God for every child of His to be found Amen. gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a scriptural prescribed way according to the New Testament. What I want to speak of, I suppose, concerns my background in relation to the way I was brought up. Uh, I was brought up, and, and I will discuss this again uh, with more clarity later, I was brought up in a religious system which could very definitely now be termed as a cult, mm -hmm. where the, the problem was this, that instead of paying allegiance to Christ and His Word, people began, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, began to pay allegiance to men and what they said at the expense of Holy Scripture. That is a, a fast track to a slippery slope that ends in destruction. Mm -hmm. There is no good that can come out of these things. Now, we have leaders among us, of course, that guide us. In the home life, in the home sphere, God gives us parents. But you would recognize this afternoon that uh, the, the uh, scriptural principle or the scriptural uh, prescription authority is children obey your parents in the, Lord. in the Lord. So if your parents tell you to steal, no, you're not going to do that. It's not in the Lord. They tell you to sin, you can't do that. And that's where we must stand according to the scriptures. And the apostle Peter said we ought to obey men. Sorry, we ought to obey God rather than men. <laughs> Yes, we sometimes are good at doing the very opposite, and that's exactly what I want to commence with this afternoon. So, we are to obey our parents and the Lord. We are to be subject to the elders of a local assembly, but we are not to be subject to something that is against the Word of God. Now, there are ways of dealing with this, of course, and there are scriptural appropriate ways uh, of dealing with these things. But... Uh, 
I grew up in a sphere of which normal practice was whatever the elders said, you did. Whatever the leader spoke, you obeyed. And he could say anything against the Scriptures, but you had to obey it because these were the types of Scriptures that they quoted. That you just need to be subject, you need to keep quiet, and you need to just do what we say. I grew up in a, in a sphere of which there were hundreds, literally hundreds, of rules and regulations which govern the life of the individuals, of which some of them were not too too bad. But the problem was this, they were placed, human rules were placed on the level of the Word of God and given equal status with the Word of God. Now, in the intertestamental period, between the, old, the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament, there was no word from God, we know that. And a few centuries passed without God speaking through the mouth of the prophets. And there arose preeminently two main groups, namely the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were linked with the priests, and the Pharisees were linked with the scribes. Interestingly, the Pharisees, they were generally working class people, and the, uh, the Sadducees were the arist aristocrats of society, the wealthy people, the well-to-do, the lords, etc. But these two groups, they, they arose. Uh, I, as far as I'm aware, the, the Pharisees arose first. And what they arose to maintain was to keep the Scriptures, keep the authority of the Scriptures, to maintain scriptural practices now that the mouth of the prophet was closed. But by the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, when our Lord Jesus Christ appeared on the scene, this group of men, this, this sect of the Pharisees, which had had noble, genuinely noble beginnings to, to, with, a, with a desire to see the Word of God preserved and obeyed, had become something completely contrary to the very thing that they originally stood for. They started to invent human man-made traditions. And by the time that our Lord Jesus arrived, there were hundreds of them that they had to keep. And they placed these traditions on the level of Scripture as though they had come from God Himself. So when the Lord Jesus appeared, I find it remarkable, absolutely remarkable, how He dealt with this. He had absolutely no time for hypocrisy. I'll just make reference to the Sadducees first. The Sadducees, if the Pharisees added to the Word of God, the Sadducees were formed to try and kind of contradict the, the mm -hmm. Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And they were formed uh, and they denied parts of the Word of God. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits or, mm -hmm. or angels. Uh, they, they didn't believe in the afterlife. They, in fact, again, they had 
what we might term as reasonably noble desires in the beginning, they arose, their name, tzaddik, in Hebrew, means to be righteous. And, and their name originates from that term, to be righteous. And, and their desire was uh, to, well, the Pharisees have gone too far. We're going to, uh, we're going to sh really show them what you know, righteousness is. And ultimately, may, uh, what may have started with noble beginnings, again, they fell short of the Word of God. Now, we often hear the term legal and the term loose. Oh, that's a legal assembly. Oh, that's a loose assembly. First of all, I would caution very definitely against such terms. We need to be, number one, very, very careful how we speak about God's property. Mm -hmm. Very careful. It belongs to God. And sometimes we use blanket statements about an assembly that we really know nothing about. Hearsay, possibly, at the very best. We need to be very, very careful about that. But what is legal and what is loose? It's defined with these two groups, simply as this. If you are legal, you are adding to the Word of God and giving it equal status with the Word of God. You make a human tradition and you say, it is a thou shalt. We cannot do that. Now, we have guiding principles in the Word of God, and rightly so. And we can use the Word of God to find our guiding principles, find our teachings. We know that we are expected to be reverent in the presence of deity, and it would be completely out of place for us not to be. To recognize, brothers and sisters, that in this place this afternoon among us, among our own, in our own person dwells the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and in our midst dwells the Lord Jesus. There is deity in our midst, and we ought to recognize such. But I grew up in a sphere that said this. Let me just check. Both of you brothers would be in great trouble. Because I grew up in a sphere that said, you have to wear a white shirt in a place like this, in a meeting like this. And it is a thou shalt. And do you know the scripture that they used? <laughs> they used the saints in Revelation dressed in white. And they plucked the scripture out of context and made it a rule and gave it the, uh, the uh, uh, equal authority of the word of God. And a tradition of men transgressed. And so then they said, if you don't wear a white shirt, you're not being obedient to God's Word. <laughs> so we have to be very, very careful. That is legal, by the way. That is the definition of legal, adding to the Word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to very sensitively say this. The assembly that you're a part of and that I'm a part of and how I live my life, am I adding to the Word of God? 
the moment I bring a human tradition and I make it a thou shalt, I'm legal because I'm actually adding to the Word of God. Amen. Loose. The Sadducees were loose if the Pharisees were legal because the Sadducees denied the Word of God. And again, I bring this to our, ho to our personal mm -hmm. lives and to our assembly lives. The moment I dispense with any part of this, of which I understand, of course, in context. We know that there are certain parts of the Old Testament that we don't practice today because we understand these things, rightly dividing the word. We understand things in context. We come to the New Testament and we see there are New Testament practices for New Testament local churches to be upheld and maintained. The moment I dispense with any one of those, I am loose of a truth because I have dispensed with teaching from the Word of God. This is the definition, the true definition of legal and loose. The Lord Jesus spoke these very, very solemn words that these people of whom had noble beginnings and right desires, they had actually arrived at a stage that their worship meant nothing. Because they could say the right words. They could honor Him with their lips. And they could draw near with their mouth. But in their hearts, all that they lived for were these rules regulations that had gone beyond the Word of God. I want to say, I suppose again, a word of warning. Maybe it will be a word of encouragement, <laughs> strangely. But brothers and sisters, the moment we pursue a pathway, especially with uh, the teaching that you'll hear from these two brothers at least either side of me today from the Word of God. The moment we pursue a pathway and ignore these things and set up a level of Christian behavior and make rules and stamp them as though they're with the authority of God, we are on a very slippery mm -hmm. slope. We are on very safe ground just to keep to this book. I'll say this and I'll sit down and my other brothers will speak. When the Lord Jesus came, I am constantly amazed at how he dealt particularly with these groups of individuals. Now, if I had been with the Lord Jesus, and again, I, 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 I reflect what my brother has said already, that uh, we speak reverently when we, we, when we say these things. But if I had been with the Lord Jesus, I might have been actually quite embarrassed. Or with the apostle and the other apostles, <coughs> the disciples. 
In fact, at times the disciples were embarrassed. Because the Lord Jesus, maybe if I had been with him and we had approached the the Sabbath day and we had come to the synagogue where there was the man with the withered hand. And there he was and we knew that these individuals were watching the Lord Jesus that they might try to catch him out. I might have said to the Lord Jesus, couldn't you just leave that till Monday, Sunday? Look, what's the point of offending these people? You know, at the end of the day, another day, sure, you're the creator. You could allow this man to have breath for another day and let's keep the peace. And he could be healed on the, on the Sunday and, mm-hmm. and, and they, they, they would be restful about that and you wouldn't have to go through, we wouldn't have to go through any angst. But no, why did the Lord Jesus say, no, I'm going to heal this man on the very day. I'm not going to wash my hands before I eat, even though they expect me to. And the disciples, I'm not going to teach my disciples, just wash your hands for the, for, to keep the peace, you know. Because he wanted to teach them a vital lesson that they had gone beyond mm-hmm. and transgressed mm-hmm. and moved into an area of hypocrisy and legality. And they lost their genuineness. Of course, these people uh, were not even saved, many of them. But we're bringing this into a Christian context. So, today, if a brother was to come to the assembly where you or I are, and we have a certain, maybe, let me just think how I can define this politically, Oh, correct that. Just say it. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I got your back. <laughs> James speaks about this. He says we are respecters of persons. Uh-huh. And let's just say an individual comes to the assembly and they're not dressed the way that we think they should be dressed. They're not irreverent. We're not talking about irreverence here. There very is definitely... And now, some of these things possibly are easier uh, to be understood when you've come out of the world and been saved. Very, there, there is very definitely a lifestyle that has been left behind where you know what, just, mm-hmm. you don't care about God. And you move into a sphere where God is obviously reverenced and respected. So, but someone comes and they have an item of clothing and that is not according to our standard of dress. What would we do? What would we do? How would we treat them? Now, I want to make reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but I will do that Shortly, I think that uh, now is the appropriate time to open up the, to these two brothers and we'll continue this conversation. When I think about the local assembly, whatever else I'm going to talk about, 
or whatever else I'm going to think about, or whatever else I'm going to do, my first loyalty mm. is to Christ himself. Mm -hmm. It is God's eternal purpose that in him that Christ might have the preeminence. So I think relationships with other Christians are really important. I spend my life working on that. I think my relationship with unsaved people in the community is really important. I think we tried to underline that recently. But the first thing is, is pleasing Christ. And if that's not in order, this conversation and this panel is a big waste of time. Yeah. Sorry. So my first interest, my first loyalty is him. That he'll have the preeminence that in all things God will have glory. And I think to, 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 to jump, this is not a reflection on what you've just said, I, I sure. really like what you've said, but to begin at any other level is going to miss the point completely. Sure. Christ gets first loyalty. Mm. And his word gets first loyalty. And while we talk about cultural accommodation and you know, loving our brethren, it's Christ first. And I think if we order our thinking that way, mm -hmm. I think that solves, actually, some of the downstream problems. Is that okay to say it that way? Very much so. I, I think I agree with you, Dan. And, and yet I would add to that, that often with good intentions and honest Amen. motives, yeah. we can embark on a path you know, like, like, for example, some of the, if we're going to talk about some of the, the peculiarities, for example, we, we, we all have peculiarities, but with great honest motives out of love to Christ, I could be doing something that may not actually be necessary or could actually be contributing or sending a different kind of a message. I need to understand how that's being interpreted. One of the, uh, I mean, you think of the, of the very early days of, of Christianity. What other group would have thought looked peculiar, strange, and weird, and probably would have got cult terminology is in the early believers going house to house eating together constantly together banding together they were just they were turning the world upside down they were counterculture to everything i mean it was strange right mm -hmm. um oh you take my pen you can have that um so the, the, we, we need to be careful putting labels on things because sometimes we can look at a, a believer who's really a passionate follower of christ and we can say you're just weird now we're all a little bit weird Anyways, most of us. Clive, you're from Australia, you're peculiarly weird. But we need to be sensitive about putting labels on people for things like that. One of the other verses I would read and add to what Clive has read for us is what the Lord Jesus gives now, not in a negative connotation, but now in a positive uh, connotation. He says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you guys are salt, you are light. He said, your good deeds, the way you live in community, let that be seen. That's what people ought to see. They need to see how we live. They need to see our good works. They need to see our good deeds. They need to see the product of our lives. And by that, they will bring glory to God. So there's, the, the way we live and interact, I think, is going to have a lot to bear on the genuineness of who we are. And, and sometimes, you know, there are things about New Testament teaching that in modern society, 
is going to seem strange. Mm -hmm. And some things, you know, if it's truthfulness and faith, faithfulness to Scripture and truth, faithfulness to the truth of the Word of God, sorry, that's kind of what God says. But we can sometimes take that beyond what it needs to be, right? So there are areas we need to get at. Now, I'll, there's some of the things I want to say on that, but you can keep going here. No, I, I just want to make a point to clarify what Dan has said and tie together these two, the, tie, tie these two Dans together and what they've said. It's going to be a big bundle. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is the evidence of love to Christ? Well, <clears throat> that's a complex question. In our uh, personal lives, submission, I think, might be a word I'd use. Obedience. Obe obedience would be a word that I use. Worship would be a word I use. Service might be a word that I use. Yeah. Well, I see the evidence of our love to Christ. It is, it is exercised through obedience, but it flows out into worship. Mm -hmm. you, you, cannot, you can. Now, I can be obedient to the word of God with no love for Christ. So Absolutely. that's where worship ties it in. Absolutely. So, but our, the genuine evidence for our love to the Lord Jesus Christ is our willingness to obey his word. Mm -hmm. And from that genuine heart, then worship flows forth. Mm -hmm. So we, we must be clear on that. The Apostle John, he said this. We ought, sorry, he that saith he abideth in him mm -hmm. ought himself also so to walk as he, he walked. walked. So when I then analyze the life of the Lord Jesus and see how he walked, I am to model that in genuine, out of a genuine heart of love, in obedience to him. So then that leads me to think then about how the Lord Jesus related to other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm going to make a statement that may terrify you, but the most divisive man in history was the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times over in John's Gospel, it says there was a division among the people because of him. Now, I'm flying in the face of modern evangelical theory that says that unity is the greatest truth. But the fact of the matter is, is that Christ was not the great unifier. He was the great divider. He divided men. There were some that had life and some that didn't. There were some that followed him and there were some that didn't. He divides life and time. He actually divides eternity. So absolute, unquestioned, blind, accepting unity, which is being touted as our goal, is not following Christ. Um, even his own prayer that they may be one, um, that was answered on the day of Pentecost. That is not a surrender of truth so that we can all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Mm -hmm. That's not what that's about. We have a fellowship of truth and at the foundation of what we believe and the foundation of what unites us, it's not going to be, you know, just happy hands. It's going to be centered on a person. And it's going to be centered in truth. And that's why I thought your introduction was so important because whichever extreme you were, it was all where you stood in relation to truth. And whether it was the addition party or the subtraction party, their relation to truth, both of them rejected Christ. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So wh when we talk about working to bridge relationships with fellow believers, 
when we're talking about bridging and making relationships from the local assembly to our community and to the world, there are some non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. One of them is a person. It's the Lord Jesus. And the other is a non-negotiable truth, and that is God's inspired, unchanging, eternal word. Mm -hmm. And I think if we lay these at the foundation, then we can sensibly work out yeah. how to... The, listen, the Lord Jesus... I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, it's on my heart today, and you know that. But the way that he cared about others and the way that he removed impediments so that people could come to him and so that people could follow him. Mm. But at the root of it was a recognition of who he was and fidelity and loyalty to him and to his word. The Lord Jesus, if anything, was, well, unlike anyone else, was a discerner of hearts. Mm. So he could see the genuineness of those that were there to hear him. That's a great uh, distinction between Luke 15 and, one and, and Luke 14. Uh, the Pharisees and scribes, there were those that came and they watched him. They were looking for occasion to find fault with him. Right. Luke 15, the publicans and sinners, they come near, they draw near to hear him. And the Lord Jesus' acceptance of genuine-hearted, real believers, or not even believers in this case, right, and real and genuine people, was, was unequivocal. He, he, there was open arms. Um, and they felt comfortable in his presence. He, those who didn't feel comfortable in his presence were, were those that were hypocritical, those that were filled with spiritual pride, those that considered themselves a notch above, a class better. And these are areas where we need to be guarded. We need to be guarded sometimes in our self-perception and how that leads us to interact and react towards others, maybe from, uh, have other other derived practices from the same spiritual principles. Um, there's a continuum here, and in the time allotted, we could never delve into the depths of what that continuum looks like. But, I mean, the, the pattern given to Moses in Exodus was specific and physical. The, the New Testament spiritual pattern or principles, which you could call patterns, I suppose, but principles, for the most part, with some precepts, are, are, are going to allow for, for differences and, 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 yeah. and movement, right? right. And, and depending on where you fall on that scale, you could be interpreted, uh, you could cause undue um, attention to yourself by, by pushing something to an extreme. So, for example, you mentioned white shirts. Well, we all know that. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that in some of our circles, I mean, my father's told me stories that he went to a wedding with a white shirt on and got sent home um, by a preacher because, you know, he had, with a pink shirt, sorry, he wore a pink shirt and had to go home and get a white shirt. That's not too far back. That's past now. That's gone. So we've come through some of that, that kind of thing. But there are other areas where we want to uphold good practices, but we would never declare a rule, so we wouldn't, wouldn't fall into the class of that legalism, but there's an unwritten rule. So there's some peculiarities about us where there's obligatory styles of dress that are just, I mean, people would, I mean, I mean, we're here to talk about it, right? So let me just throw it out. The obligatory use of a dress or a skirt on a sister. Saturday versus Sunday. Is that healthy? Am I telling you to all go out and change right now? No. I'm asking you to think. I mean, I, I come from a place where that's not even noticed. You know, um, in, in San Luis, Rio, Colorado, where I meet with other believers, um, the way I dress on Monday is the way I dress on Sunday. And that's more in keeping paper with the culture. We have, a, we have a church history, a church tradition, which we have adopted, and there's good things about it. But there comes a point where we need to say, okay, are we pushing this to a limit that could actually hinder 
our gospel testimony in the community. Um, where's the balance in that? Not wholesale change, not a push for it, not a push against it. There ought to be diversity. As there is in the body, there's going to be diversity. If we all look uniform, there's going to be, there's going to be some strange looks. Because we, we, we think of uniformity in dress, what do you think of? You think of Amish, you think of Mennonite, you think of some different things. And you see how something in perpetuity has grown now to be such a distinction that it's, people say, that's strange. Well, we don't want to get there either. So we, we need to just be thinking about these things. Mm -hmm. The reason why Amish and Mennonite and Taylorite yes. can be recognized like that is because they do have a prescribed rule among them. So we just have to be careful of that, right? that we don't end up there. So we don't make the rule. My, my question, Clive, do, do you think sometimes we have unwritten rules? We do, yep. I mean, like, like, I was told at one point, um, th these, these are cultural changes. Things will change quickly, right? Um, I, I've heard said in our circles, okay, Dan, shut, you're not going to like this, but somebody told me they never saw a spiritual man with facial hair. Well, I said, go back and read a book from 100 years ago hmm. or come to a conference with Dan Shutt. Um, <laughs> okay, like, you can't say those things, guys. No. Um, I, I was told, so I'm not that old, right? I'm young. I mean, they think I'm 27. They thought you were 28. They tell me 27. Um, you know, somebody said, Dan, you're getting married. I wouldn't put a wedding band on. Uh, that's, not, that's not good. Hmm. Where does that come from? Now, that's the kind of thing, I like the example you drew of the Lord Jesus, who had every opportunity on another day and another time and another occasion to do what he needed to do. But he says, no, I'm going to do it here. He wasn't doing it to be provocative. He was doing it to make them think. He was doing it to confront erroneous teaching and thinking on their part because he loved them. Okay, so I, I just want to break in here, and, and uh, I don't want to in the way of you, Dan, but how then do you balance that? We have to bring balance yes. to everything that we say. How then do we balance that with what the Apostle Paul said? That if someone was, were to be stumbled by him eating meat, he'd never eat meat again for as long as the world stands. Or the drinking of wine, or the participation in certain practices, which he felt he had the liberty to do, but that might stumble another believer. So, there is what the Lord Jesus practiced. What does stumble? Help us really quickly. What does stumble mean? To cause another believer to have their conscience defiled before God. Or uh, to fail. It's actually a fail. catastrophic fail. Yep, yep, that's, a, that's definitely where, Which you have said, where yeah. it ends, yeah, to, yeah. to become disqualified. But they genuinely are upset by that certain practice. So what do you do in a situation where you want to maintain unity in terms of not stumbling another, uh, but at the same time, not give way to hypocrisy and uh, conditions that the Lord Jesus faced in terms of those making rules and placing mm -hmm. them on, on the level of Scripture. Where do you find that balance? There, there, there's a couple of issues here that we could conflate a little bit. Um, one of the other 
things we want to always be guarded against is a reticence towards questions. Um, sometimes, I, I, I look at the coming generation, and I thank God for people that think. Um, my wife l laughs at me a little bit. She said, don't talk about her. I'm sorry, honey, just close your eyes and your ears. Um, she calls me, sometimes I take my space trips. Space trips means I had to get outside at the, the space shuttle to think. But I always tell people, I never disconnect my tether. I put my tether on first, say, I love the spaceship. This is all symbolism I'm talking about. Maybe I've lost you. Um, but the spaceship being where I am, where God has brought me, the heritage I have, I love it. I, I, I keep my, my tether firmly attached, but I have to float outside it and look back at it to see it. Um, and, and when you get outside, you look back, you do see things that sometimes you say, you, you need to keep balance, right? So you, you don't want to offend people. But can we, can we talk about this? Can, can, we, can we have a healthy communication? Can, can, can you older saints that lead amongst, and not just older saints, younger saints lead too. I hope in your leadership, in your assembly, you have all stratus, you know, all, all the different ages covered off here. But um, when somebody comes to ask you a, a challenging question, do you say, hey, that's a great question. What are you doing on Wednesday morning? Let's get together for coffee and talk about that. Do we do that or do we say, that guy's being rebellious? She is provoking, you know, this is part of the issue, right? So we need to be able to talk about this stuff. And when we talk and we communicate and we exhibit the character of Christ in our treatment of each other, these things will disappear. They won't be big. They will not be big. Um, but the true thing of stumbling, and that's what I was getting at, that is sometimes a, a, a catch-all phrase. We may be off topic a little bit that says, you're going to offend me if you do that, so don't do it. You're not going to offend me that I'm going to throw in the towel, abandon the faith, and I'm gone. It means I'm going to be bothered. Well, maybe you need to take a minute or a few minutes alone in the presence of God and challenge your own self about that. You know, the thing is, um, some of us here have been alive for almost half of assembly history in North America. Now, you may think that that's weird, but that's just math, and uh, it's a tragic reality for some of us who are getting older. It's been my observation over many, many years that assemblies do not divide or struggle internally over doctrine. Mm -hmm. Now, Amen. Brother Clive mm -hmm. comes from a tradition when he was a child that did divide over doctrine, but I'm speaking about the Scottish assemblies that were formed by Donald Ross and Donald Munro and John Smith and John Gill, the men that are behind the work that all of us here presently represent. Assemblies have not divided over doctrine or what the Bible says. What they have divided over is personality. And, you know, God's assembly is a tricky thing. You're mixing together people from all kinds of backgrounds. You're mixing men and women. You're mixing uh, different cultures, different, uh, you know, just personalities, everything. And sadly, it's been our history that even though sometimes the scriptures are bandied about as the reason, I would tell you that in rare occasions, has there really been a doctrinal division? It has been personalities and extreme personalities. And so to go back to the Bible, which is, I think, where we need to be in this conversation, we have things like Philippians 4, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. I think what happens is, is that we are creatures of extremes, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, we got the white shirt crowd and the pink shirt crowd, and never the twain shall meet. And 
I think there needs to be a gracious submission to Christ, first of all, and there needs to be a, a gracious submission to one another. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll go a long ways. The idea that I'm always right appeals to me, but not to anybody else. And I think when we, we get into this position where we climb up on our high horse and demand that everybody conform to me, that's where we really run into mm -hmm. troubles. That's what happened with, with uh, the apostles, you know, the, the disciples. They came to the Lord and said, we saw this guy, mm -hmm. you know, and he wasn't doing things just exactly the way we think he ought to be doing. And the Lord said, excuse me, again, with great reverence, the Lord said, mind your own business. What is that to you? Which is just the Greek way of saying, mind your own business. Follow thou me. My greatest obligation is to follow Christ. Mm -hmm. And if I'm really the Christ-like man that I ought to be, relationships suddenly get resolved. What does Paul do earlier in the book of Philippians when two sisters can't get along with each other? He doesn't send them to Christian counseling or conflict resolution. He points them to a man who surrendered everything so that he could die for somebody else. Isn't that amazing? So are you willing to die for other people in the assembly? Mm -hmm. And not just people with your last name or your ethnicity? Because that's really what's called for here, and that will resolve these problems. Really, it will. It is a Christ-like willingness to surrender yourself for them. Now, it's a different issue when it comes to people that are not saved. And I think in the, in the course of this conversation, we need to talk about how the assembly is perceived internally, how it is perceived by Christians who are not in our fellowship, and I think it needs to be talked about how we relate to people who are not saved. I am going to say one thing. When God is calling a person to His Son, nothing that you wear or nothing that you do will stop them because that would make you more powerful than God, and you aren't. In fact, it's amazing how God has saved people in spite of the weirdest Christians. <laughs> and He has used the most unusual people under the most unusual circumstance to bring people to the Lord. Um, nobody is going to fail to be in heaven because you had a white shirt instead of a striped one. It's not going to happen. Because God in His sovereign purposes saves them that He will. It is the Father that draws people to Christ. So I think some of our angst, maybe we could dial some of that back. Um, let's be Christ-like. I think that will carry us much further than anything else. Something that we have to address is what the, the Pharisees again displayed, and that is the crippling disease of a critical spirit. Amen. Uh -huh. Coupled with spiritual pride. Well, but go ahead, go ahead. very, very definitely it is linked with spiritual pride. It's all Pride is the root yes. of nearly every, every sin. sin. <laughs> but, you know, there's something I just really want to commend here. Uh, as I move among the people of God, I want to commend a younger generation. Mm -hmm. Amen. Because there does not seem to be an evidence, particularly in a younger generation, of a real critical spirit. And... So may that speak to me personally. Mm -hmm. But brothers and sisters, if we have our eyes on Christ, as we ought to, through His Word, we will genuinely not have a critical spirit in That's relation right. to our fellow believers, in relation to those around us. 
and it is something that needs to be addressed. So maybe that is something, again, in your home assemblies that could be spoken about and could be addressed and possibly had ministry, be ministry given on it. But a critical spirit is crippling. It's crippling to us internally, and it affects our testimony outwardly. Mm -hmm. And didn't the Lord Jesus talk about that, you know, when he talked about the fact that we all have a two-by-four in our eye? Why am I complaining about a fellow with a piece of sawdust? When we are critical, we're, we're really being blind to our own personal liabilities. Now, what I'm saying does not deny the ability of older Christians to shepherd younger Christians. Sure. It does not deny the authority of elders to carry out discipline when there is sin. It, it does not restrict me from attempting to, through discipline, drive evil out of my children and to encourage what is good. It's not a non-discriminating spirit, mm -hmm. but it's a spirit that understands my own vulnerability first. And I, I think some of you who know me well know that you know, I don't believe that the Christian life is the lowly worm routine where we go around with our hands dragging and, you know, uh, woe is me sort of thing. But at the same time, uh, I think a, an honest heart before God will admit that the person who needs the most renovation in God's assembly in Livonia, Michigan, is me. And when I start there, mm -hmm. everything else seems to fall into a rather interesting order, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The um, part of this, and this is the specific wording of the question, is our perception even outside or in the community, too, when people look at us. So I, I want to reiterate and, and agree with what Dan says. God's going to do his work, and he's going to do his work. That doesn't give us an excuse to get in the way of it. It doesn't give us an excuse to not use wisdom. And it doesn't give us an excuse to not at least be able to think. Now, there's going to be differences of practice among us, and we need to be able to communicate in a healthy way. There's a great article that was just put out by uh, Caleb Simone Gundel, and he's got a little, a little website called Oversight Today, and he's given some helpful things on it. Um, and and it's, it's about the use of, for example, of thee or thou pronouns, okay? And it's a great approach to it. And if you take the time to read it, it's a balanced, fair, in grace, a truthful response to that. Not telling anybody do or do not do that. It's how we fight against that. But here's what I want to point out to you. While, while I, I made a comment on that, and because I commented on that, people associated and connected with me could see that. And one of them was my, my good friend, a, a cousin. A good friend, I haven't seen him for a long time, but he, he lives in another continent. Um, and he is extremely brilliant. Uh, he's a PhD but he's an atheist. And we've had long discussions over things, and I've carefully tried to handle those discussions with him to try to bring the defense of the Christian faith in front of him. He saw that, and he wrote this comment right on it after it. And I don't remember the comment exactly, but he said it always, it's always a curiosity to him over the trivial things that people get caught up in. Mm -hmm. So thee or thou or you or your, like, uh, how crazy. So here, smack to me came, this was a place, this was where I, this could be a problem to, to him. I, I don't want to talk about him about pronouns, about what kind of English you use. And, and, and there will be questions we'll have among us. This is not an issue of reverence, but for him, looking on from a completely outside perspective, he said, well, how strange. And I thought, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I want to have a deep, the person of Christ, the defense of who Jesus is. That's where I want to get with him. And uh, he happened on this one. Well, and, and, and going back to Clive's point, 
when, it talk, when we, we talk about being critical. Let's remember not to be critical of the believers who have gone before us. Because there would be none of you here were it not for men with white shirts who prayed with thee and thou and lived a different lifestyle than most of us do. Men who did not have televisions and men who sacrificed their lives in ways that none of us can imagine. They're the reason that we're here. So lest we become chronological snobs and assume that in our modern enlightened day we have the answers that they didn't, Let's be really cautious because I look back to a day and men who saw 10 and 20 and 30 people saved in a series of gospel meetings. When's the last time that happened in your assembly? And men who worked for years to see local testimonies formed that now populate the east coast of the United States and other places that we go. Let's be very careful that in what we're saying up here that we're not casting aspersion or criticism on their godliness mm -hmm. because they've done more than you have mm -hmm. and they've done more than I have and their fruits remain. It remains to be seen whether colored shirts see more people saved or whether saying you and yours is going to lead to greater fidelity and greater strength in the assembly. So I'm not attacking what has been said in any way because I have a striped shirt on and I address God in a very real way. And I'm very interested that the assembly and other believers feel comfortable with us, that we're not some kind of weirdo cult. I don't mm -hmm. want that. But I also want to recognize that the proof of my work has not yet been seen. The proof of their work has been seen, and it has been to the glory of God. So until our race is finished, and until God evaluates what we think is right, let's move pretty softly. Let's move gently. We might be the ones that are wrong. And I think that's why loyalty to Christ, obedience to His Word, is going to be the safe thing. Because I have to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to give an answer, not for how cool I was, and not how much I looked like Joel Osteen, but how much I looked like Christ and souls that were brought to heaven. So I'm just injecting that as a caution, because the criticism can be you know, contemporary. But we can also develop attitudes toward people that have gone before us mm. who didn't see the way, things the way that we see them. Mm. And let's, let's not talk them down mm. because you wouldn't be here and mm. I wouldn't be here if it were not for them. One of, one of the nicest things to say, Dan, is they served a generation. They did, indeed. Right? And, and may we serve our generation. Absolutely. And this is the, this is the crux of the issue we're dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. And if... if I hope history looks on us as well as, as history can look on them. One of the beautiful things about history is it sometimes glosses over, glosses over the challenges. Uh, you read any church history, read any brethren history, and there's all kinds of blotches. Mm -hmm. But the grace of God has brought us through, and there were people that loved God and served God and, and with, with their uh, hearts sold out to God, mm -hmm. lived for God. Mm -hmm. And there is in our generation. There is. So... Actually, let's not critique the, 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 the history or the past. We can only yeah, deal with where we are today and be faithful to Scripture and say, let's be honest about how we interact with each other. Let's be careful and cautious and thoughtful about the image we project yeah, to those that come right. amongst us. But not, at the sacrifice, not to sacrifice truth, but be thoughtful 
and, and let's communicate. Let's talk yeah. about some of these things because we can't do it justice in one hour here. Yeah, hmm. yeah that, I, I agree fully with that. I mean, we don't know yet if our ideas work. Okay? Let's just be humble here. We have, we have opinions. Dan has an opinion. Clive has an opinion. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. Guess what? We don't know if that works yet. I know it worked in the past, but I don't know if this is going to work. That's why what we're talking about here requires humility. Let's, mm -hmm. let's do this gently and graciously. And, and, uh, s and something we, uh, to, to uh, complement that, we do know what does work. Amen. Right. That's and right. we have this Not in changing. our hands. Yeah. So let us hold fast to the Word of God. Amen. And these peripheral issues, I believe, if we are genuinely holding fast to the Word of God, sometimes, and maybe this is a reflection even of what we've been talking about now, we get too caught up with these peripheral issues. Mm -hmm. And whether I look at you and you say you and your, and I get too caught up with that, or you look at me and I say thee and thou, and you get too caught up with that. Both are, Both are wrong. Absolutely. So let us remember that let us be obedient and true to the Word of God, faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ. And these peripheral issues will be able right. to be mm -hmm. communicate, communicated about and sorted. And we will be able to move on and see the blessing of God because God does bless His Word. Mm -hmm. can, can I use another word here? And I think this would be very helpful to the conversation. And that is the word honesty. I think what some of us object to, and Dan and I have talked about this before and others, and one thing is, is that there were people who pushed opinions as, their, as, being, as having some biblical base. And ultimately, as we ourselves matured and studied the Bible, we discovered that that was, in essence, a dishonest thing. Mm. So let me make a plea to moms and dads, for example, and to grandparents, because we have a responsibility in our homes to pass on truth, but also to elders and teachers that God has gifted in the assembly. And that is, is, to, is to practice what the U.S. government requires, and that is fair labeling. Mm -hmm. When you give the Word of God, say, thus saith the Lord. Don't back down. Yeah. Don't negotiate. Don't be afraid. Declare what the Word of God says. Give it with divine authority and never, ever back down an inch. But when you give your opinion, label it like that. Now, let me just say one more thing. Opinion is not wrong. There are things over 150 years of assembly practice that have been proven to be useful. Okay, I'm going to give you one example. It's a simple one. The Believer's Hymn Book. Okay? I just came back from Britain. Um, I was in an assembly that used three hymn books, and I didn't know any of them. We, the whole Lord's Supper, we sang hymns. I thought they were the most wonderful hymns I've ever heard of, but it was the first time I ever heard them. Mm. I didn't even know the tunes to them. It was just a wonderful, inspiring uh, sort of thing um, to travel and to be exposed to that. But, but here's the thing. Um, the use of the Believer's Hymn Book has been greatly blessed by God here in North America. And I love it, and we know it, and it's part of our spiritual DNA. Mm. I can sing almost the whole book from memory. I really can. But, right. you know, the thing is, is that um, we want to, we want to um, label things like that. Don't, don't, mm. don't try and make up a verse. Mm. Don't try and invent a principle. Mm. Right. Just say, you know what, 
this has, this has been a great blessing to us. Why do we sing two hymns at the beginning of a gospel meeting? Well, that's not in the Bible. It allows latecomers to sit down mm -hmm. and hear the entire message. And if you sing three, that's okay. If, if you sing one, sing, that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing but, will catch fire. But, but what I'm saying is, let's be honest about what comes from the book. Yeah. Let's be honest about what has worked. You know, I, I don't think that's a... a I think no, we can just no. do that. It's very, easy to very do, appropriate right? point You to know what never on. works around here is, is a clock. Yes, well, I'm beginning to get uh, signals and signs We can see here. that, so Dan and I are going to keep talking. I Dan, will what be else in great <laughs> trouble after the meeting unless we conclude this. So, God willing, tomorrow we're going to continue in the panel, and maybe we will look at uh, a few of these things to conclude. Just two questions to answer, and I will very, very quickly do that. One question was that... Uh, not a question per se, but comments on the following quote would be appreciated. The Bible represents this age as that of the outgathering of the church from the world, not the ingathering of the world to the church. Does Christ really satisfy? Well, the, the comment I would make on that is, I have a good poem on my computer. If you want to look at it afterwards or write this title down, it seems to answer that. Mm. And it is called The Church walking with the world. An excellent poem. It is an old-timer poem, so you'll find older language in it, but it is an excellent poem. You spoke about God pursuing the story of the prodigal son, the father, the picture of God, is waiting for the son's return. Is God, in this case, pursuing or waiting or both? Well, the answer very simply to that is this, the whole parable, mm -hmm. because the parable is one. It cannot be divided, and it concerns the Godhead. The shepherd seeking the sheep is the Lord Jesus coming from heaven to go to Calvary's cross, and he went until he found them. The widow, the woman who lost the coin, it is a picture of the Holy Spirit Amen. and the light of the, uh, the lamp giving, uh, 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 displaying where the coin was, and that again is the light of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual as God begins to work. And then finally, and that's why it's in that order. Yes. Because Christ needed to come. The Spirit is now doing His work, and the Father is waiting mm -hmm. with outstretched arms. So yes, God is both pursuing and waiting. Mm -hmm. Yes. But that's seen in the whole parable. Let's 